You're listening to episode 36 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara. He's Alex. It's the All-Star break, and the Cardinals are still just average. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All-Star break edition of the show. As you heard in the intro, Tara and Alex both here with you this week after the holiday weekend and now a couple of days off as far as the Cardinals are concerned for the All-Star break, which we'll talk a little bit more about as we go along on the show. We'll talk a little bit about the All-Star game maybe about the ridiculous home run derby that happened on Monday night. But first, let's talk about where the Cardinals stand halfway through the season. Well, sort of unofficially halfway through the season, a little over the mathematical halfway point. But Alex, they're pretty much where they were a month ago, (laughs) six weeks ago. Anything outside of that 20 and 10 start, this is who they are. The Cardinals are 44 and 44 at the break, they still are well within striking distance of the division, two and a half, or rather two games, sorry, behind the Chicago Cubs, the Milwaukee Brewers, just half a game out of the lead. So when you look at the standings, all is not lost. When you look at the record and the team that the Cardinals have put on the field every night, just really is not inspiring. Yeah, we really probably could have just replayed an episode from three or four weeks ago and no one would have been all the wiser (laughs) because it's feels like we're talking about the same thing every week i'll tell you one thing i I guess that i noticed and that's uh i guess it was friday's game against the giants the first game of that series which they won nine to four to me that was the type of game i was expecting to see a lot this year the the type of game where they don't get great starting pitching. I think what Hudson gave up three runs and like five innings pitched or, or something like that. But it didn't really matter because the offense bailed them out. You know, the offense mm-hmm. out, out slugged the other team. Uh, Goldschmidt went deep. Jose Martinez went deep. I think, you know, Fowler hit one later in the game. Those were the type of games I was expecting to see. Almost like a, this might not be the best comparison, but almost like a poor man's version of the 2004 team. Although I think we can all agree the 2004 team had, had better pitching than this team did. But just a team that was going to score a lot of runs, and by doing so, would cover up a lot of warts uh, from the pitching staff. But you know th- that game has certainly been more of uh, an anomaly than than something we see every week. So yeah, I mean the problem still just lies with this offense. The offense just is not good enough to carry this pitching staff across the finish line. The fact that you know I, I've been uh, I was away for a few days, so I missed a lot of the games. I missed this crazy home run derby or something. Um, apparently, <laughs> someone hit ninety one home runs. Did I read that correctly? Yes, Vlad oh. Jr. hit ninety one home runs Wait. and did not win the home right. run derby. So, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to what we're talking about in a second. But right, so he hit ninety one home runs, and from what I could understand, people enjoyed watching this. Yes, did it take hours? <laughs> No, I mean, it took longer than necessary because they went to essentially three overtime periods uh, between him and Jock Peterson in the second round. But I mean, the rounds are timed, so it's still only, you know, three minutes either way. Right. Okay. And he lost because he hit like a bulk of these home runs in like one of the earlier rounds and then when he was in the final round he just happened to lose to Alonzo. Is that what happened? Yeah, so Alonzo in both of his first two rounds went second 
and only had to hit one more home run than the guy that went first, right? So he hit, I think, 14 in the first round and 20 in the second okay. round. Meanwhile, Vlad went first in both rounds, and then the guy following him couldn't match it. So he'd already hit more home runs than I think Alonzo might have all night. That's, I mean, it was it was insane, but it was like... He he would rattle off eight home runs in sixty five seconds right. or something like that. It was insane. Uh, <laughs> next question: Has the winner always gotten a million dollars? That I don't know. I'm not super sure that I've paid attention to like what happens when you win. Yeah, I before. That was. Uh, I'm probably going to sound stupid, and this has been a thing for a while. But that was the first I have ever heard of that. And I think back to you know. A, a, Player like Alonzo, players like Alonzo and uh, you know Vlad Jr. That's that's good money for them on their, on yeah. their cost control <laughs> years. Yeah, not a not a bad um, day's work, right? When you can just fire off home runs. I will say though, I mean the the everyone could see it happening in the way that the bracket was falling out. I mean Alonzo barely had. I don't know, half the swings <laughs> that Vlad did because of how many home runs he had to hit just to get to the final. So that, I mean, I think he hit 22 in the final and, uh, you know, that was his worst well, round of the night. <laughs> that seems like a flaw in the system. Um, that could probably it does. be fixed somewhere. It does. Like, no one should be hitting that many home runs, uh, that many more home runs than the other guy and not winning. But... I will say, and again, I missed it this year. I was out of town, uh, and I don't care too much either way. But the timer that has been a big step forward for the home run derby. That has yeah. made all the difference in the world because it used to be really bad to watch. Like, uh, yes, I, like I agree. five years ago, you had to like really, uh, you had to really be a fan to, to try and tune in and watch that. Thing. <laughs> and I think what they they implemented it three years ago, maybe it was the first time they did the timer. Um, I was like, oh, this is this something is cool. like that. Okay, yeah, this might work. It adds a little bit of intensity to it that wasn't necessarily there before. I will say they should probably just do away with the one home run has to land before the next pitch is thrown because no one follows that rule and they throw it up there on a graphic yeah. and talk about how they can and no one does it. So just just eliminate that rule because no that one's following was the it anyway. Last year, right, with Harper <laughs> yeah. and he beat was yes. it Schwarber? I feel like it was Schwarber, but I, that. That could be I wrong. Was. I don't know. But that was the the controversy was that uh, Papa Harper was not waiting for the ball to land before the next pitch, but no one was on Monday night. Nobody was. I mean, there were there were a couple of guys that were firing off the next pitch as soon as the batter could reset after the swing. So it's pretty funny um, as far as <laughs> not enforcing the rules as they're written, shall we say? Well, back to the Cardinals, uh, a team that. Uh, I, I assume we'll eventually hit 91 home runs this season. Uh, they probably, <laughs> oh no, they, you know, I, I, I keep forgetting the ball is uh, ridiculously juiced. So that, I don't know if they've hit 91 home runs, but they probably have. Their offense is still bad. The team is still not fun to watch. It's very, very ridiculous that they're only whatever they are out of first place in the wild card. And so it kind of <laughs> keeps them in this weird state of purgatory almost where no one knows what they should be doing. 107. Okay, They've hit 107 okay, so home runs. Plenty, plenty more than 91. Anyway, I, I think, you know, the, the problems of the offense, a lot of it just comes down to um, just Paul Goldschmidt not being that, you know, that great, which is why at least that San Francisco series was, was promising. But 
I don't know. I really don't know. You know, I, I we talked a lot about Bader before the season, and the thing I kept saying was like, I don't care if he's not good at the plate because I assume he's going to be flanked by two outfielders and other players who are going to be very good at the plate. But man, he sticks out like a sore thumb when people aren't hiding his his bat, when he's just another yeah. bad bat in the lineup. I don't know. This team is frustrating. It's it's a very, very frustrating team. Here's a, here's a question. <laughs> if, if you could take the 2016, 2017, 2018, and this year's team, so those four teams, and say they played some sort of weird round robin where they each played uh, each other a bunch of times, wh- which team wins the most? I guess that's a very complicated oh. way of saying wh- what is the best team of, <laughs> of those four. Last year's team? Uh, you know, hmm, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the, I mean, recency bias, right? I'm yeah. trying to remember how frustrated I was with those other teams. I mean, last year they made that late summer run that made it feel a little less bad, but as much as they were bad at things like base running and defense, they were still somehow, <laughs> still somehow winning enough games to at least feel relevant for a while. And that was without the likes of Paul Goldschmidt. Hmm. I don't know. Do you have an answer to that question? I'm I'm processing. <laughs> I want to say the 2016 team, although that seems long enough now that I, I can barely even remember who who our pitchers were. Yeah. Um, uh, Wainwright Walker, obviously. Uh, oh, Car- oh, of course, Carlos Martinez. Right. Um, I, I, our pitching was stronger. Mm-hmm. The bullpen kind of got solidified down the uh, down the stretch with Zach Duke, and I, and you remember that's when Alex Reyes came up, and he was he was pretty brilliant for those yeah. for those uh, few appearances. And uh, you know that seemed like when Matt Carpenter was kind of in his prime. Mm-hmm. So I would probably go with that team. Yeah, but, I f- I feel like offensively that team was enough that you're right. They did have some. Solid pitching. Plus, that was before <laughs> that was before the real decline. Maybe that was the, the the first year of the decline, perhaps. But there wasn't quite so much angst about how bad they were. It was just a matter of trying to get back to that. You know, 2013, 2014, 2015 teams. Those were pretty good teams for the most part, even if they didn't have the postseason success that everyone would have liked them to. But I don't think there was quite as much frustration built up for the 2016 team. So it maybe registers a little less negatively in my brain. Yeah. Although I'll counter that with that whole season was kind of a drag because it seemed like the Cubs were 15 games ahead of them uh, yeah. by the time the second week of the season started. <laughs> so, so that wasn't good. But I don't know. It's not really a fun thing to think about. The four very boring teams almost. Uh, <laughs> Which you know, team yeah. is worse? <laughs> the point, though, I think is that not much has changed in the last four years. As much as they have overturned the roster and changed the coaching staff and you know tried to establish some sort of relevancy in the division, they're still struggling to reclaim a spot that they can... Yeah. I don't know, lead from, right? You don't necessarily want to hang your hat on being two games behind the division leaders. (laughs) You want that two games behind to result in eventually taking over that division lead, which is a thing that they're very much capable of doing based on the talent that exists on their roster. But it's not a thing that they're capable of doing if they don't 
start playing like they have all of that talent existing on their roster, whether that's Paul Goldschmidt or Matt Carpenter or getting Marcelo Zuna back or Miles Michaelis remembering how to pitch for more than two games in a row or whatever the case may be. So there's talent there, but they got to figure out how to tap into it or they're going to be only two games behind for as long as it takes for the Cubs to snap out of the slump that they're in. So if you could take a guess, do you think Goldschmidt going forward, and by going forward I just mean the second half of this season, is he going to be closer to what he was this first half or is he going to be closer to what we thought we were getting in Paul Goldschmidt? Assuming Mm -hmm. he's not going to be either. Like I feel like he's going right. to fall in between somewhere. Which which do you feel like he's going going to be? Because I just I'm just not confident anymore that he's going to yeah. be the Paul Goldschmidt and that he's going to be this Cardinals version of Paul Goldschmidt, which is good, but not which can be good, but it's not elite talent. Yeah, and, and that's a huge problem. It is because he was supposed to be the elite talent that took them to the next level. So I think. I have a hard time watching Paul Goldschmidt and his reactions to now granted he's not a particularly emotional guy so watching his reactions is maybe not the best way to judge what he will or won't do or what sort of mindset he's in but there's a difference in I don't know I guess sort of that confidence that Matt Carpenter had last year even when he wasn't hitting out of his mind like he was in August that it's going to happen it's going to happen and when it does just look out and he was right at least for a period of time I don't know that I see that same kind of confidence in Paul Goldschmidt. He looks defeated when he has been struggling. I mean, outside of that San Francisco series, <laughs> most of the first half, he's looked like he just has no idea what's going wrong. So I say that to preface my answer to your question, which is, I think he'll be better. I don't think he's going to get to that mark where we really say, okay, Okay, now that's Paul Goldschmidt. I'm not sure. Well, I'm certain he's not going to be satisfied with that. I don't think a lot of the fan base is going to be satisfied with that. But even that much could be the difference in the division right now. I mean, if he was just like halfway between what he is and what he's capable of being, they would probably be leading the division right now. So it might not be enough for what he wants to be for this team. But man, it would be nice to see how much of a difference it could make. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you listened to Seeing Red this week with Willie and Bernie Nicholas, but it was the most depressing, <laughs> certainly the most depressing episode of that show I have ever listened to, where they were pretty much just like throwing their hands in the air and saying like, not only does this team have major problems, there really doesn't seem to be a fix anywhere. Now, I'm not quite that pessimistic with this team, partly because of, as you mentioned, how not great the rest of the division is, but I, I will say I have kind of joined the ranks for the first time the last couple of weeks in wondering like, is, is, are the Cardinals like seriously over? Like as we've known them to be since like either the Lunau or Mosaic era, whatever you want to call it, like is, are they done being any sort of like marquee franchise, even in a very, I guess, uh, liberal sense of the word? Like, are they now just a very average franchise or even below average franchise from from like an analytical standpoint, from a talent standpoint? Uh, and I never would have thought that um, even before the season started. I, I think back to, I want to say it was like the 2014 winter meetings or maybe it was 2013. I don't, I don't quite remember. 
but th- there were all these jokes, uh, like, you know, yeah, the Cardinals show up to the winter meetings and just kind of like walk around and observe and laugh at all the other teams who are actually scrambling, trying to get better while they <laughs> sit there being good and knowing their future is as bright as it could be. And that's when, you know, they're just coming off a world series. They, what they had like at the time, the best farm system in baseball. And man, that was only six years ago, but those days seem like so long ago. It really does. And you know, someone was asking me today about Jeff Lunau leaving St. Louis and if they if the Cardinals as an organization regret that. And I mean, I think he was going to move on at some point. Eventually, he's way too smart to not be a GM somewhere at, at some point in his career. So I'm not sure they could have held on to him if they wanted to. But they haven't. We talk all the time about trying to replace elite talent on the field. I wonder how they've replaced the elite smarts of Jeff Lunau in the front office. And if him leaving kind of took the, we're going to be better than everyone because we're smarter than everyone identity with him from the Cardinals. I don't know. We've talked about this whole identity crisis thing for so many years now, and there's still no clear answer, right? Who, who are the Cardinals anymore? We can go back to different eras of success with the Cardinals, even eras where they weren't so successful. And there's at least an identity, right? You can point to those times in Cardinals history and sort of know what the team was like, what the style of play was like, what the, you know, all those different things. I just don't know that we're in an era of Cardinals baseball post Tony La Russa, where you have an easily identifiable marking for for what this what this team what this organization is so in that sense man this organization has had it really good for quite a while as far as not being a terrible team for an extended period of time i'm not suggesting that this is the point where they sort of careen into that really dark place but if they're not careful it could be yeah it seems like the I don't know. Like the bottom line is they're not good enough right now to make the playoffs. They haven't been bad enough for years to draft in a position to get like an elite can't miss talent. And to top that off, their trades, the moves that they've always made have not broken right, (laughs) Right. especially Paul Goldschmidt. And I, I don't fault them for that. Everyone trades for wants to trade for a Paul Goldschmidt. Um, and if they just happen to get him when, you know, old man time or whatever you want to call it is catching up to him, then that's just bad luck. Uh, because I, I don't think most people would have expected that. Certainly the projections didn't expect that. I do blame them for the Tommy Pham trade yeah. and, and other trades and other trades like that. But so, yeah, they're, they're definitely in a tough spot. And I don't know the way forward either. I, I don't know. I, I think I would prefer them still trying to compete with this sort of squad than any sort of like, I don't even know what it would look like trying to blow this team up because as people have said, yeah. like there aren't many pieces you can sell off. That's going to bring back a lot of value. They have a lot of guys, you, you know, like Matt Carpenter who has signed for what, what is it? Cause there, originally there was a club option for next year. Right. And then yeah. they bought that out for how many years is he? Two years. I guess my point is, yeah, they seem locked in at a, at a lot of positions yeah. right now. So yep. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. You know, I feel like we keep waiting 
for that moment to where we're like, haha, we were all like worried um, and just being uh, silly and, you know, complaining for the sake of complaining and this team's totally fine and they're good, just like everyone expected them to be. But as you said, we are past the midway point. That, that time needs to come. <laughs> if, they're, if, they're, yeah. if they're going to win around 90 or so games, they're going to have to play at a pace that seems completely beyond this team right now. Yeah. And the thing that this organization likes to talk about as far as the front office goes is the ability to sort of regenerate talent and relevancy without having to tear it all down. But there's a reason that doesn't usually work. (laughs) There's a reason more teams can't pull that off. And it's not because John Mazalak is always the smartest guy in the room. It's not because his staff is the only one that can figure out what to do with, you know, middle to late round draft picks and developmental programs that give you five or eight pitchers that can come up and throw big big league innings if necessary. It's, there's a, that can only take you so far. And when you don't have the right pieces or things don't break your way, all of a sudden you're looking at a lot of years just trying to be competitive that don't really generate the results as far as, you know, postseason baseball or, or banners or rings or trophies. And then that, that strategy, that philosophy of just always trying to be competitive falls a little flat when competitive in the central means you're two and a half games out of the division lead, but you're still in third place and outside the postseason looking in. So competitive is not the same as winning. And that is where it it feels like a lot of people can make the case that the front office has um, sort of settled for this version of success that is, simply being 500 or above and staying in the conversation for the division. And that's not the kind of success that most people are buying tickets to see. It's not the kind of success, quite frankly, that the players on the field are there to provide. So yeah, it just, there's a weird disconnect, right? And we keep talking about that between what the front office says, what they do, the players that they bring in, how they perform, what the expectations are. It just doesn't all seem to make good sense. And the result of that seems to be very average baseball. The thing, though, that they do have, for better or for worse, is a very passionate, very intense, not all-star catcher this year, but he's got plenty of those jerseys to go around. Yadier Molina made some news this week of his own doing, I guess, when he took to Instagram, as only Yadier Molina can do, to uh, voice his opinion about collisions at the plate, in particular with Luke Roy this past week. Alex, (laughs) not a lot of fireworks for the Cardinals on the field as of late. Uh, Yadier's a little bored, maybe? (laughs) Uh, I don't think he's bored. I think he's in a unique position. to really care about collisions like that (laughs) and he sounded off i guess the uh so i've watched the collision several times now and it's it's really hard to assign the amount of blame that i really would like to like i 
it, it's very hard to watch that and think it was 100% intentional. I, I really don't yeah. think he meant to, obviously he didn't mean to hurt Lucroy. Like, uh, I, I think for the most part, those days are kind of over with where a player is going to purposely uh, go down the line with, with some sort of intent in mind on injuring the catcher. I'm not even positive he meant to have any sort of collision or contact with him, although that does seem to be kind of negated by the fact that he never seemed to enter in any sort of position of a real slide. Um, you know, you know, it was like it was like a helmet to helmet hit from a football field almost. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of come down to the argument of that, regardless of his intent, um, and regardless if, and, and this is the part that might be dumb and controversial, but regardless if what he did, if you could classify it as being within the scope of the rule, anytime you initiate contact like that, especially with your helmet to the head of another player, you should be suspended. Uh, I don't think he should be suspended for, I don't think Mariznick should be suspended for like 10 games or anything like that, but I I think it would not be the worst thing for MLB to send, send a message to basically say like, hey, we can't tolerate plays like this. We can't have our catchers lying on the ground. Um, I mean, he looked completely concussed to me in the, uh, you know, in the aftermath of that hit. And so it's not necessarily saying like, look, we think you purposely tried to injure this guy. Um, it's just saying like, these are plays we're trying to get rid of. And in an effort to get yeah. rid of them, you have to be suspended for that play. It's the same philosophy in football, right? It's not that they believe every time a quarterback is hit or every time there's a helmet to helmet. It's not that they're suggesting there was intent every time, but it's to dissuade that from happening so people are aware of it yeah. and in, and go out of their way to avoid that collision it's good, because yeah, right. it's dangerous. It's a good faith effort to try yeah. one, say, we're, we, are tr- we are at least trying and two, to do what you can to set a precedent to protect players. Like, I absolutely believe that when a player is barreling down the line like that, that it's not as easy as people think to make the right decision there. You know, right. like, oh, okay, the catcher's right there, so I'm going to kind of do, I'm going to, you know, slide around the plate this way. Or, or you know, I'm going to try and take this part of the plate. Like, those aren't the easiest things to register as you're, as, I'm guessing, as you're, as you're coming down the line like that. But I, 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 I don't blame, and I certainly sort of loved uh, Yachty's re- reaction to it just because, again, he's in a unique position. He's a catcher. He's probably been on the receiving end of, of hits like that. You, you know, we know Matheny was. Uh, yeah. That basically cut his career a little bit short. Uh, and while he wouldn't use quite so much of the language that Yachty did, he, we've, we've heard him just as passionate about – Baseball yeah. trying to find a way to eliminate these collisions because of the the personal impact it had on him. I mean, that's why I think someone like Yachty has a voice that not only is relevant, but should be listened to because he's been that guy, right? Just like yeah. Mike Matheny was so passionate about it and so protective of Molina as his catcher when he was the manager because he knows the damage that it can cause that's far greater than just the sting while he's lying on the field in pain in the moment. Yeah. That was always one of the uh, ironic things about Matheny is he had way more progressive views on those um, collisions at home plate than most of his peers did, including, yeah. including Joe Madden. But uh, re- regarding Yachty's apology, do you think he did that on his own? Cause I say absolutely no. not. Like <laughs> not someone <a> either, <laughs> either DeWitt told him he has to apologize or uh, maybe even major league baseball said, you know, like, which 
I don't know if I like that. Like, I don't know if I, and, and again, I'm, I'm stipul I'm operating under the assumption that someone told him he has to apologize. I don't know if I like them regulating their social media like that. Uh, that doesn't mean I think Yachty social media was the most highbrow smart thing in the world because <laughs> it obviously wasn't. But again, he's, he has a reason to feel the way he does about home plate collisions like that. And more important, I'm quite entertained by him going after the entire Astros team when they, <laughs> when they all lined up on his Instagram feed to like to sort of yell back at him, which is their right. They're protecting their, their, you know, they're backing up their own guy, you know, to his credit. I do think he felt pretty bad about the collision in the immediate aftermath and, you know, after the game as well. Uh, but yeah, that that was that was one of the more uh, entertaining things we've seen uh, <laughs> from this team. Yeah, I, as far as as far as Molina taking on anyone who had a comment, not the smartest thing, <laughs> not the not the most veteran, you know, mature move perhaps, but it is who Yadier Molina is, and the reality is, you know, we we often talk even in relation to the All-Star game, which we'll talk about in a second, we talk about how Major League Baseball does not do a good job of making its players into superstars. The NBA does a terrific job of that. People who don't pay attention to the NBA know who the NBA superstars are. No one who doesn't pay attention to baseball knows who Mike Trout is, right? And it's not just Mike Trout. That's just the the obvious example because no one knows who Mike Trout is. But we we see all of these outlets for players with social media and with uh, you know their own sort of content creation that allows people to see them as people and give them even more to latch onto or to dislike or just sort of create these strong emotional reactions to players and that's what generates interest right so Yadier Molina went off on Instagram and it was a top of the lineup story on multiple <laughs> sports websites because what is he doing? Now, I'm not saying that that's always a good thing, right? Not all attention is good attention. And I think if someone in the organization, if Major League Baseball, if someone stepped in, there's a weird line you have to draw there by letting someone else dictate how much personality these guys can show. And that's I don't know that that's really territory that we want to get into with a sport that, you know, needs eyes on it and it needs interest and it needs rivalries and it needs people to care one way or the other, positively or negatively about what these players do and, and how they feel about the sport that they play every day. So that I don't think that should be erased just because <laughs> Yachty maybe went a step too far. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really care about this stuff as much as I, I think other people do in terms of like marketing the players and everything like that. But the NBA certainly has mastered this, right? Where they just let the players go. And they and it's almost turned into kind of like a caddy, like soap opera at times. And it's hard to argue that it hasn't been good for the league. Now, you can argue whether or not it's good that that stuff overshadows the actual games. Uh, and I think that's a valid argument to have. But yeah, I, I think, again, assuming someone told him, like, buddy, you better apologize. It was probably like DeWitt, too. Like, I, I feel like DeWitt, like, <laughs> like he traded Tommy Pham mostly just because he didn't like that Sports Illustrated interview, which, um, you know, I'm, yeah. I have no nothing to back that up with. But it just seems like a, a – and that, that just drives me insane um, that I feel that way. 
because I don't know, like, like to me, part of being uh, more, I'm radically uh, taking a left turn here, but to me, part of being like a leader is to like, be able to say like, all right, okay, that's fine. You're still a very good hitter. So go for it. You know what I mean? Like, like if, <laughs> if, if giving quotes that bother you to sports illustrated um, or, or, or quotes that are a little off color to sports illustrated outweigh great production on the field in, in terms of like what you value on your team, then, you know, I think we have a problem. I'm going to say just in case anyone missed what we're talking about, I just want to give us a, a small sample of, but basically Yachty backed up um, Luke Roy, um, said that play was garbage, um, dropped a ton of F-bombs throughout. And then a lot of Astros players, uh, I guess, commented on his Instagram post, including like Justin Verlander, where he did like a hashtag fake news um, reply to Yachty. And Yachty under Verlander said, fake you ass, uh, which, uh, yeah, I'm not positive what that means, but I still think it's not a great response. So that's what we're talking. That's what, that's the type of dialogue. Uh, that's what we're talking about here. The thing that's so wild about these Yachty rants is that half the time that's the kind of response it is. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what that means, but I, th- I feel like it's bad, <laughs> but that's everyone in baseball knows that that's the kind of guy Yachty is, right? He's going to defend his guys. He's going to defend what he cares about. He's going to be passionate about it. I mean, we saw the way he reacted to the St. Louis's boring thing. <laughs> this is a guy certainly not short on passion. And what I don't want to see happen is that to be squashed. You know, that's the the kind of passion, the kind of intensity, the kind of boldness, the willingness to speak out when you care about something. That's not something that I want to be washed out of the game or out of St. Louis. I don't know. That genuine reaction in the moment is is not always a bad thing. And I think the moral of the story is that's just who Yachty is. And you uh, you go after one of his own and you better be ready for a launching pad of responses. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, we've said enough on this. And it seems like it's died down too anyway, so who knows? Yeah, it seems lot. like everyone's uh, either ignoring it or his apology just has, everyone has short short memories, right? Especially when they have other things to pay attention to, like 91 home runs in the Home Run Derby or the All-Star Game. And that is what is currently going on now as we speak the American League, once again, leading the National League in the All-Star Game. Alex, I don't know how you feel about the All-Star Game. <laughs> There's very little about the actual result of the game that I care about even a little bit. <laughs> so watching the All-Star Game is always only mildly interesting to me and it's for that reason which we sort of discussed this um on twitter a little bit it came up i love the additions to the all-star game that allow us to see these players as people to hear from them directly to get their perspective on things to see them interacting with each other kind of opens a window to who these players are and because I don't really care about the game itself, that part is way more fun for me. And that's a, that's maybe not the most common take on the All-Star game, I think. I'm discovering that there are a lot of people who are very annoyed by the extra stuff. <laughs> um, let's see. So I used to love it. Um, 
Absolutely loved it. Um, and then I turned 12, I guess. <laughs> but, but I mean, it also a lot of it has to do with the fact that when I really loved it is when I didn't have access to all these other teams and players. And, and I mean, no access. I'm talking like, you know, we didn't have cable. Um, the only games I saw were Cardinals and Cubs games. So I never saw the American League but for in the All-Star game. Um, and the World Series. Uh, my only other exposure to the American League was seriously through baseball cards and like video games, you know. And so obviously that's no longer the case. You know, I could watch every single Seattle Mariners game if I wanted to. Uh, luckily, I don't want to. Um, <laughs> but, but but no, it's it's a fine event. I, I it's it's cool. It's probably one of the better All Star games out there because it still resembles the actual game. Uh, versus like the uh, NBA All-Star Game or what I'm assuming the Pro Bowl looks like. I've never actually watched it. Uh, I don't know why anyone would watch the Pro Bowl, but I can't imagine it It resembles anything close to a real football game, whereas, whereas this does. I think I mentioned last week I, I enjoy like the pomp and circumstance before the game much more than the, than the actual game. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I've never loved the whole kind of, you know, every team gets a player uh, – even though the Cardinals benefited from that this year, the uh, starters usually don't go much more than an inning or two, although I totally get why that's the case. Uh, and, you know, I, I think even back in the day, they rarely went more than three. So it's not like that's a huge switch. Uh, but, you know, I, you were talking earlier on Twitter, because I mentioned last week how I don't like the players mic'd up on the field. And you said, what, Freddie Freeman was mic'd up during that bat? Yeah. Okay, so my issue was always with, I don't need to see during a game while a guy's batting the right fielder being interviewed by the booth that was the stuff i always hated but so you're telling me and i missed it because i was i was uh like putting kids to sleep and stuff like that but freddie freeman was while he was batting was like mic'd up and was he saying like oh i missed that that was a fastball you know that was a what was he saying while what what made it it so fascinating that well, first of all, they did the whole mic'd up outfielders thing as well. Wow. And I also loved that. So um, we can talk about that in a minute. But this particular instance, Freddie Freeman was mic'd from the time the inning started. And they were talking to him in the dugout as he was getting ready to 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 bat. And they were talking about what he was looking for and what he'd seen from Verlander before and what he was expecting from him. So then he stepped in the box and he was joking with the guys in the booth that they could see the the signs that catcher was putting down so he was joking you know i'm gonna you guys tell me what what pitch is coming so then he was shouting to justin verlander hey they're gonna tell me what you're they're they're gonna gonna tell me what you're throwing so they were talking back and forth during the at bat he took a fastball and he said i've never taken a fastball in my life (laughs) and it was just i don't it was just funny because you don't typically hear the players commentary on their own at bat especially while it's happening live. But then you also heard the back and forth. Uh, Justin Verlander yelled at him to swing the bat on the third pitch that missed inside. And he yelled back, throw a strike. (laughs) I mean, it was just stuff like you don't get that in an actual game that matters. And uh, it was, it was, I just thought it was brilliant. (laughs) So that's fun. That's I, I could see why that would be appealing, but it's still not like, you're still not stepping into the mind of like an MLB hitter, you know, like, like that, there's no way that exchange is ever happening in any semblance of a real game. Oh, of I, I think what I, what I always hate about like the mic, I always associate it with like the NFL or, or I guess like even NBA does it so often, um, especially with like coaches in the NBA. Like you, you ever watch an NBA game in the fourth quarter and they go like 
you go live to the huddle and the MB and the yep. coach is always saying like very simplistic things like we gotta we gotta just stay tougher than them like you know like skip back on defense you know like fight like is this is this really groundbreaking stuff I'm hearing and like I also feel like whenever a guy's mic'd up like especially a player because I know I would be conscious of this like I feel like I'd be acting differently knowing that people have the ability to be to hear what I'm saying. Uh, I, I might be trying to sound cooler than I am, like more of like a leader. Uh, I don't know. I, I, do, I just always feels, I don't know, sort of just, I don't know why I'm complaining about this. It's not a big deal at all. It just, it, it always just <laughs> You're not the only one though. Yeah, there it's, it's there are people me. that don't like it. So here's a little um, uh, television industry insider thing for you. Ooh. Those in the huddle moments with coaches yeah. in basketball games, the reason that there's never anything of substance is because you, you can't, can't use anything of substance. Well, then, like then, you can't show them drawing up a play because sure, someone can sure. be watching it and tell them. So like you have to pay it. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, that's, that's the, the risk you run trying to do that. Sometimes we'll get stuff where it's, you know, some, some interesting commentary, right? But most of the time, the only stuff you're going to be able to air is stuff that <laughs> isn't particularly groundbreaking. No, I get so that. that's part of the reason for that. As far as the guys in, in the outfield, maybe not acting like they would in a normal game. I don't know. I guess the thing for me is that I don't see the all-star game as a normal game. So I don't care if it's like a normal game. I'm, I'm not really watching the all-star game for extraordinary strategy and defense and, you know, team chem. Like I'm watching the all-star game for the personalities, not for the game. Right, so-, so I would rather hear they had three Astros outfielders, in the outfield at the same time. And all three of them were mic'd up. So most of what you heard was them, you know, giving each other crap back and forth and making fun of Alex Bregman for still breathing hard after, you know, having to score from second base, the uh, top of the inning or whatever, that kind of stuff that isn't about the game, but it's about the, the players. And for me, that's really interesting. So that's why I like it, but I get it. If you're, if you're trying to make it feel like it's a real game, it doesn't, it sort of breaks the illusion. <laughs> so so I, I think here's the disconnect. You, you watch it for the personalities. And my thing is I don't find these personalities to be all that interesting. <laughs> it's because we don't hear from them. If we heard yeah, from them more and we heard that they're boring forth, baseball players. Uh, no, no, how no, do we know that they're boring baseball players? If we never hear from them, that's, if all you ever hear from them is the very curated TV soundbite, then how do we know that they're boring players? I'm going to err on the side of them being boring baseball players. But you have a point. That it makes total sense for MLB to want to say, like, you know, hey, these are our guys. See what they're like outside of just, like, swinging the bat and pitching the ball and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I'm just a old, cynical uh <laughs> grumpy guy so no one should listen to me on this stuff you know i you're like i said you're not alone i've had a number of people make the same kind of comments i just i think because i don't care about the outcome of this game it is not even remotely interesting to me to watch this game if there is not some other draw besides the outcome of the game now when you see the best pitchers in the game that's cool you know it's not turning into a home run derby like it has in years past paul DeYoung just got his at bat and and is on first base i think he walked i don't know i looked away and then all of a sudden he was 
there. So he took a walk. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, you know, if your team has guys in the game, there's a little more at, at stake as far as the outcome, but man, I just, I feel the same way about just about every all-star game is that it's way less about the game and more about the players. And that to me is what the focus becomes when you let those guys be part of the show, I guess. Um, but I, I get where it, it, like I said, breaks the illusion of it being baseball and can seem a little little contrived, perhaps. Uh, I'm on the plan decks right now, and I'm going to tell you the last Cardinal to uh, take a walk in an all-star game because this okay. is the content we all need. Which may or may not lead right into the Chirp of the Week, also focused on the all-star game. All right, there we go. The last one to draw a walk was Yadier Molina. In 2017. There it there is. You go. Yeah. Should have known. Should have yeah. guessed that. Goes right back to Yadier Molina. Uh, <laughs> anyways, you want me to do the chirp of the week? Let's go for it. Okay. So obviously we were talking about the All-Star Game. I used to love the All-Star Game. The, the very first one I ever watched was in 1987. The National League won that game. Uh, speaking of which, National League just scored a couple runs, it looks like. Uh, the National League won that game in the top of the 13th when Tim Raines hit a two-run triple, and they ended up winning that game. Two to nothing. I remember staying up uh, to watch the entire thing. And I also remember my dad telling me that the National League wins the All-Star game all the time. Uh, well, since then, they've won six of them. Uh, <laughs> I believe that's the case. Six of them in how many years are we talking? Uh, a lot. That was a very long time ago. But anyway, um, I wanted to look at uh, some arguably fun facts about Cardinals in the All-Star game. Um, So I was on the play index messing around and here are a few things you may not have known. Um, It probably would not surprise you that Stan Musial is the most decorated Cardinal All-Star of all time. Uh, He has played in a ton of All-Star games. I believe he has the record with uh, Willie Mays and part of that reason is because from 1959 to 1962, they had two all-star games a season, which is one of those things you think about and you're like, what on earth were they thinking? Like, (laughs) why would you need two of these things? Um, Obviously it was probably a money grab, but I think obviously it seemed like so much of a shameless money grab that they did away with it uh, after the 62 season. But anyway, Stan Musial has 72 plate appearances in the all-star game as a Cardinal. The next closest Cardinal is Ozzie Smith with 28. Uh, Musial also hit six home runs in the All-Star game, which is the most for any player. He had 20 total hits, which is second to uh, Willie Mays. Two triples have been hit by Cardinals in an All-Star game. Uh, One was by Eno Slaughter in 1950, and the other one was by Rafael Farcal in 2012. (laughs) Of course it was. Exactly. Uh, So here's something that's fun. We brought Yadier Molina from 2017 earlier because he drew a walk like Paul DeYoung did earlier. Well, in that game, he also hit a home run. It was kind of a bummer. He was on pace to probably be the MVP of that game. Uh, but the National League, as they're wont to do, blew that game late. I was up super late because my uh, daughter had just been born like three days earlier. So I was uh, up late with a screaming baby watching that. Uh, <laughs> but Yadier Molina hit a home run. And it was the first home run hit by a Cardinal in the All-Star game in either of our lifetimes, Tara. Because the wow. previous one was by Reggie Smith in 1974. The last stolen base by a Cardinal in the All-Star game was Vince Coleman in 1988. Uh, and I was just curious what, what type of first half Vince Coleman had to get voted into the All-Star game. He actually made the game in 1989, too. But I think in uh, April, he had the greatest, possibly the greatest month of his career because he hit two home runs 
and he had he had a slash line of 281, 337, 472. Uh, which if you know Vince Coleman's uh, prowess at the plate, that was very good. Like I said, he hit two home runs, and he hit, I believe, 28 for his entire career. So Vince Coleman had a very good first half in 1988. Not so great second half, but, you know, that's okay. Carlos Martinez in, I think it was 2016, pitched two innings and struck out four batters. And that tied for Cardinals Dizzy Dean for the most strikeouts in an all-star game. And Dizzy Dean did that in 1934. Here's a question, Tara. Since 1970, three Cardinals have allowed a home run in an all-star game. Three pitchers, that is. Do you know who they are? I don't know why you would, but do you want to take any guesses? I do not. <laughs> okay. Bob Tewksbury in 1992, Woody Williams in 2003, and Adam Wainwright in 2014. Adam Wainwright, I believe, started that game in 2014 over Kershaw, and I think people were like ah, actually upset yes. about that, but uh, I, was, I was happy. Um, let's see. What else? There's never been a save recorded in the All-Star game by a Cardinal. And this might be my uh, favorite thing. Uh, We've talked about how Kent Bottenfield had that 1999 season that the Cardinals were able to uh, parlay into uh, uh, Jim Edmonds. And then, you know, we kind of know about the Kent Bottenfield trade tree. Well, he actually made the All-Star game that year, and he was terrible. Uh, He he plunked. So Cal Ripken, I think a lot of people remember, he hit a home run in his last All-Star game in 2001. What did Wainwright call those pitches? Pipe shots when you kind of throw it down? Yeah. The, um, yeah. May have been a uh, pipe shot, but uh, that's okay. Like we said, it's just the all-star game. Well, two years before that, Kent Bontfield plunked him. Actually hit, hit him, uh, which doesn't happen that often in an all-star game. And Ripken would come around and score, and the American League would end up winning that game. I think Bontfield pitched uh, one inning and allowed uh, a couple runs. He did not fare too well. I think that's about it. And you can you can update the stolen base fact there because Paul DeYoung and Pete Alonso uh, completed a double steal. In You're kidding me! While I was talking, while you were talking, yes. Live live updates. Okay. Paul DeYoung cool. stole third base, and then the inning ended. But nonetheless, there you go. There's the most recent stolen the, base. The first stolen base by a Cardinal in 31 years. There you go, um, Paul DeYoung. I don't think anyone cares about that fact? But there you go. <laughs> Now you know. Now you can tell all of your friends when you're discussing trivia that may or may not be relevant at any point in your life. But it's a fact that you now know, thanks to the Chirp of the Week. That will wrap up another show. The All-Star break is just about to conclude as well. I know I will be in St. Louis for the Blogger Day event on Saturday. So look for some content from a bunch of us at Birds on the Black about that day and the question and answer that typically is included with John Mozalek. I have a feeling there might be some pretty interesting questions asked about this team as it stands coming out of the all-star break, but we will be back then with you next week to break it all down, see what's happened since the break, see if the Cardinals come back refreshed or sort of stale as they often have coming off of an off day this season and uh, then we'll get into a whole new second half hopefully with a team that looks like a whole new team just wishful thinking you say it out loud enough maybe it'll actually happen make sure that you're following us on twitter i'm at dara wellman he's at alexcard79 you can follow birds on the black on twitter and on your favorite podcast listening service Make sure that you tweet us with your thoughts about the All-Star Game or about your Molina and the very average St. Louis Cardinals. 
and we'll talk to you guys next time.